Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome everybody to our Aliyah Day, and Aliyah Day keeps the Yetzer Hara away. Baruch Hashem. Amen. We are in Parasha Vayera from the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis in chapter 18. And so, chapter 18, the, the uh, second Aliyah begins in verse 15. We begin at the uh, conclusion of the story of the three uh, so-called angels who are coming there. It's actually uh, uh, Hashem, or actually really Messiah Yeshua, uh, pre-incarnate Messiah, we would say, uh, and the two angels. And they have just informed Sarah that she's going to have a son. So we begin reading with God's help <coughs> in verse 15. Hope you're doing well. Glad to have you here this morning. Baruch Hashem. So, in verse 15, chapter 18, by the way, if you're in the art school Humash, we are on page 81. So it says, Sarah denied it. She denied, she denied what? She denied laughing. <coughs> she denied laughing. So, uh, she denies it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was frightened. But he said, who said? Hashem said, but he said, no, you laughed indeed. So it says in verse 16, we now begin an entirely new uh, uh, episode where Hashem is not, he came down to uh, bring healing to Avraham who was, had just had circumcision done. So we learned that Hashem, you know, bring, visits the sick and brings healing. And so we should as well. By the way, uh, the sages talk about the fact that when we visit the sick, that we in fact bring, I believe it was one sixtieth healing to their body. So there was a literal, there was a literal physical, positive physical effect that we have when we visit the sick. And so this is surely the case when Hashem visits us as well. So it says here, new episode beginning in verse 16. So the men got up from there and gazed down towards Sodom while Abraham walked with them to escort them. So, we, they've just had dinner, they just had a meal, <clears throat> they've had this discussion, bring prophecy and so on, and now they get up to gaze towards Sodom, and Abraham walks with them. There's an, a very uh, wonderful insight from the Kehot Humash that brings down a lesson of etiquette and manners that we Jews uh, follow and should follow. It says here that Abraham walked with them to escort them. The Talmud states, the Talmud, the reference for this would be uh, in Sota 46b. The Talmud states that if we fail to provide our guests with proper escort when they take leave of us, it is as if we had killed them, since our negligence leaves them vulnerable to the dangers that may lurk around the, wor- around the road. What is this talking about? It's talking about in antiquity that uh, that once once a person leaves and travels on the road, that there are real dangers out there. Uh, in antiquity, there were bandits and so on, of not just physical uh, calamity or physical trouble, but in fact, the sages talk about that at night. Uh, that's when demons come out. So it's not. Um, it is not at all coincidental that at night bad things tend to happen. This is also the case, for instance, just to give an example, 
uh, like a, a police shift. Uh, during the day, the policeman's shift is relatively quiet, but at nighttime, things tend to ramp up, and that's because demonic activity increases at night, which is why sages would not, often not walk alone at nighttime. Uh, but it says here that we have a part in killing them, because if we just don't escort them out, we let them go, then we're not protecting them. It goes on to say, moreover, if we fail to escort our guests, they may get the impression that we did not appreciate their company. By embarrassing them in this way, it is also as if we had killed them, since the Talmud points out that embarrassing someone, making them go pale, is a subtle form of shedding blood. So, couple of different uh, etiquette or ethical or you know uh, lessons here with respect to manners is that we should make sure that we uh, go out of our way not to uh, embarrass anyone and one way that we could possibly potentially embarrass them is that they come over and they're ready to leave our house and we just let them go we don't escort them out it says, on the other hand, we may take this trouble to escort them on their way at the close of a meal when our obligation as host is presumably over. We demonstrate that we're not acting out of mere obligation, but rather out of genuine interest for their overall welfare. So, Abraham wanted to entertain guests. He invited these, these three seemingly men into his home to uh, give them uh, hospitality uh, of course, later he finds out that he's, he's, he's entertaining divinity. But, nevertheless, in an effort to demonstrate that, listen, I, didn't, I don't bring people in just because I'm obligated to be a hospitable. I don't bring wayfarers in just because I'm obligated to give them something to drink or feed them a little something. But, in fact, I, I generally do care. And so, after my obligation is over, as far as uh, feeding them and giving them a drink... I am going to escort them out a little ways to let them know that I actually do care. And so it continues and says, Abraham, the host par excellence, was therefore meticulous in escorting his guest. So I think that was a wonderful insight, and it's a lesson in etiquette for us, that when we have guests over, we should escort them. Escort them to their cars, maybe, or at least, at least uh, escort them to the door whatever the case may be, but the point being is that it is considered proper etiquette to escort them out. So we continue the uh, sto uh, story in verse 17. And Adonai said, Shall I conceal from Avraham what I do? Now that Avraham, in verse 18 it says, Now that Avraham is surely to become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by him. By the way, I meant to point out, I think in the very first Aliyah, <coughs> I said, no, no, not, not, uh, not, not, I'm sorry, not the first Aliyah of this portion, but the first Aliyah of Lechaka, I pointed out that there was a source that said that, uh, that where it says the nations of the earth will bless themselves by you, that in fact, that, that can, it can read that the nations of the earth shall be engrafted into you. But I said at the time, I could not recall the source. So, Hashem, being so gracious, showed me the, short, the source. So it comes from the Talmud, Yevamot 63a. It says, the, word, in the, 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 the phrase, shall bless themselves, is the Hebrew, ve nivrechu. It is similar, it says, to the word, lehavrik, 
which means to graft like a plant. He says that Hashem was hinting to Avraham that in the future he will, uh, he will have the nations grafted into him, or grafted in through him. And so the specific nations being talked about here um, is uh, the Talmud brings down this as a direct reference to Ruth, who would be the mother of David, or who would be the grandmother, great grandmother that is, of David, and Naaman, because so Ruth was from Moab, and then Naaman, who was from Ammon, who would later be one of King Solomon's wives. But through them, through Avraham, the nations would be grafted in. So that's the source for that from the book of, of from Talmud uh, Yevamot. So we have a source that talks about that the nations of the world will be grafted in vis-a-vis Avraham. So, welcome to the family, Baruch Hashem. So anyway, <clears throat> um, it goes on to talk about this story about Sodom. So, what made Sodom so evil? According to the commentaries, which of course uh, is mentioned here in the, um, in the art scroll, when we think about Sodom, most of the time we think about uh, homosexuality. We think about that Sodom's great sin was homosexuality. Uh, according to the ancient commentaries, according to Jewish thought, what we understand to be the sin of Sodom was not homosexuality. Homosexuality was merely a symptom, but it wasn't the root cause. So the question becomes, what then is the root cause of homosexuality? And I think it's very interesting because this has, I believe, political uh, implications or perhaps a political explanation for our time. And the answer is, is that the, the, the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities, there were five cities in total that were being cursed here. It wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was all the, the five cities mentioned. That the great sin was actually greed. It was greed. It was the lack of charity. Uh, the forbidding, in fact. The, they actually had a, a situation in Sodom where they forbid people to take care of the poor, or to give alms. In fact, uh, in, in the Talmud, it talks about the, 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 the great outcry, uh, the word uh, for, uh, um, that's used there could mean a young woman. And there, there's a story in the Talmud about a young woman who would hide bread in her cup, and she would go out and she would feed it to the poor, and she was caught, and she was brutally murdered by the people of Sodom because they did not want her to or anyone to uh, take care of the poor, so greed, greed, uh, really kind of in, uh, took hold of the of the hearts. What's interesting about that is that from greed came homosexuality, from greed came cruelty, from greed came a lack of justice, and so I was uh, having this conversation with our daughter because uh, she's in a humanities class, and so. We were talking about socialism and communism, and it's just interesting to me. Um, we were talking about the root of socialism, the root of communism, why people would be drawn to that kind of political system. And uh, the, the interesting thing about it is, is that the root of that political system is greed. The root of uh, the motivation for socialism, the motivation for communism is, in fact, I see a rich person... I believe they have too much money, 
defined too much. It's completely, uh, completely subjective to one's own, uh, you know, belief. I think they have too much. I think I, I think that they got it dishonestly. You know, of course, there's no basis for that. Uh, and therefore, I want their stuff. I think that everybody should have everybody else's stuff. And so if you, if you have earned $100 million, that's way too much money. You should give me some of that money. And so it, it's based, it's a political system based upon uh, greed and, and, uh, and envy, really, and covetousness, if you think about it, right? Well, isn't it interesting that in, in our country and in other countries, as, as that level of, uh, of greed, of, of socialism, communistic mentality increases in people's minds and hearts, it's greed, it's all rooted in greed. With that, you, you have homosexuality that springs up in the midst of that. You have, with that, abortion that springs up, right? What is abortion? Abortion is also greed. I've committed a, a sinful act. It now has created a child, which is now an inconvenience to me. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me prestige. It's going to cost me, uh, you know, uh, my job, maybe, whatever, whatever, whatever. So the best thing I'm going to do is I'm going to murder the child. That way I get out of all that. Now it's all, it's all me focused, right? And so all of that springs up out of greed. It's very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a reason why. People don't like to talk about politics and religion is because to a large extent they're related. And so here we have a situation where we're dealing with Sodom on a religious situation, but in fact it's a political situation which leads to the destruction. The moral of the story being that we have to make sure that we do not have greed at the root of our hearts, which is what the very next segment of this reading talks about. It contrasts Israel, being Avraham in this case, contrast them, us, I should say, with Sodom. So, it says here, in verse uh, 19, talking about Abraham being a uh, great nation, it says in verse 19, For I have loved him because, the, the, word, the phrase there, I have loved them, the, the literal uh, Hebrew, let's see, the literal Hebrew word is yadativ, which means, um, when you want to say, I don't know, in Hebrew, you say, Ani lo yodea, or, yo, you know, Ani yodea. Ani lo yodea means I don't know, Ani yodea means I, I do know. So, Daativ means I've known him, I know him, right? I'm familiar with him. And, and, and this is interpreted in a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of translations to mean I love him, because meaning that to, when you love someone, you bring them close to you and you, you, you come to know them. So it says, I have loved him, but here's the reason. Here's the, the why. Why do I love him? And we talk an awful lot about the why in our synagogue. Why do we do what we do? That is the most important question that we can ask ourselves and answer for anything that we do. What's the why of, why do you have the job you have? Why do you serve Hashem like you do? Uh, I find that many people get in trouble in this walk. Be, they get off track because they've lost the, uh, the answer. They've lost their why. And now it becomes something else. But anyway, um, it says, For I have loved him because he commands his children and his household after me, for they keep the way of Adonai. Listen to this. Doing charity and justice in order that Adonai might bring upon Avraham that which he had spoken of him. So first things first, 
Why do I love him? I love him because he's going to command his household in my mitzvahs, in my ways. Baal HaTurim has a phenomenal uh, insight to this. It says, Asher Yatzevei et benav. For I will, or excuse me, for he will command his children. Asher Yatzevei et Banav. It says here the final letters of these words. So the, the, the final letters, uh, uh, the final letter of Asher is Resh, Yetzevei is Hey, Et is Tav, Banav is Vav. You can rearrange those letters to spell the word Torah. It says, secondly, moreover, the gamatri of Asher Yetzevei, uh, for he will command, is equivalent, so that, that number is 612, is equivalent to that of Torah. The, and it's also equal to that of Brit. So, we have an amazing Baal that on that phrase, that he loves uh, Avraham because he is going to teach his children Torah and teach them about the covenant, both in the way uh, of being able to use the final letters of that phrase and the gematria itself. So, Hashem's love is, is based upon our uh, faithfulness to live and to teach the covenant. This is why Messiah Yeshua taught in the book of Yochanan that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It later says in one of the apostolic letters, Yochanan is, is writing and saying that we know we love God if we actually follow his mitzvahs. So love is defined not as a feeling, not as a belief, but rather as an action. And that's what Hashem is saying. He's contrasting Avraham with Sodom. That Sodom is a place of greed. Sodom is a place that lacks justice. And, uh, and here we have with uh, Avraham, uh, one who um, loves charity and loves justice. Uh, uh, something else that we've seen. Um, again, you know, just to talk about current events and this discussion. Uh, one of the things that we've seen lately, if you've been paying attention to uh, what happened with the uh, the confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh, that he was accused of of a crime. Um, there was no evidence for the crime. There was simply an ap- uh, uh, a uh, accusation, and there it was discussed, uh, and then come to find out that. The accusation had no substantiation to it. There was no corroboration to it. There was nothing at all to, there was no evidence, there was no proof, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. It, would, it, would, it wouldn't last two seconds in a court, uh, an actual court. It would have been thrown out of court uh, before it even got to the court. Um, however, there was uh, a large segment of the country that had pronounced him guilty merely on the accusation. So our justice system, true justice, is supposed to be that one is uh, innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. That's a fundamental um, part of who we are uh, as Americans in our Constitution. In fact, it is a part of who we are in our Constitution precisely because of uh, how we were treated by the English, because the Crown would simply... 
make an accusation against uh, someone in the colonies and would just lock them up and throw them in prison. There would never be a trial. There'd never be anything to substantiate the accusation. So my point being is that we can look at current events and how it's playing out spiritually and then realize where we're going wrong vis-a-vis understanding Torah. So with Torah, if we have generosity in our hearts and if we have a love of justice, then we're actually following uh, faithfully to Avraham. It's very important, and I think that we should... uh, Keep these things in mind as we're living our lives and davening. So, continue on in the story, and uh, it says in verse, uh, just to reread verse 19, For I have loved him because he commands his children and his household after him, that they keep the ways of Adonai, doing charity and justice, in order that Adonai might bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of. So it says here in verse 20, So Adonai said, Because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah was very great, and because their sin was very grave, I will descend and see if they act in accordance with its outcry, which had come to me. Then destruction, and if not, I will know. Incidentally, going back, I I wanted to bring this uh, point um, down from Rabbi Monk. It says, For I have loved him. That is, I know him. Talking about verse 19. One who loves another brings him near in order to know him better. And why is God fond of him? Because he commands his children that they keep the way of Adonai. Now, I love this next part that Rabbi Monk uh, talks about in his uh, commentary. He says, The knowledge of God and his laws was kept in Abraham's time by certain people, such as Shem, who was the son of Noah, and his great-grandson, Eber. Even Noah, by the way, because I believe Abraham was 60 years old, I believe, when Noah passed away. But nevertheless, um, it says they had, uh, Eber even had the gift of prophecy. They taught their knowledge and traditions in the base of Midrash, which bore their names. So, so the fact of the matter is, is that Shem and Eber actually had a Midrash. They had a yeshiva. They had a school that they taught from. And in fact, we learn later in the Midrash that Jacob actually goes and learns from Shem and from Eber. In fact, Shem lived longer than Abraham lived, in fact. But he actually learned in their yeshiva. They had a yeshiva. They were, they were, they were learning Torah. They were teaching Torah. They were, and people who came to the yeshiva would ostensibly learn Torah as well. So Abraham wasn't the only one who was living Torah. There was others. But this is the key difference. And it says, But they did not have the persuasive power to convince their contemporaries and to cause the divine light to shine upon humanity. Only, listen to this, only Avraham attained the role of an apostle. That says it right here in Rabbi Monk's commentary. Only Avraham attained the role of an apostle of truth whose influence on the minds of others, was strong enough to leave a definite imprint on their lives. What does this teach us? First of all, it uses the word apostle, which it teaches a valuable lesson. Apostle is not a rank. Apostle is not a religious title per se. An apostle is someone who goes out and shines divine light. If that, you, right now, if you're going out and shining divine light, you're an apostle. So, it teaches us another valuable point. That God not only loves somebody who follows Torah, 
who teaches his family about Torah, God's ultimate passionate love is reserved for those who influence and affect the world around them. This is why, my friends, we have to be people of outreach. We have to be people of outreach. And, I'm, and, and outreach takes on many different forms. Uh, sometimes it's direct. Uh, sometimes it's indirect. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have to have the heart. We have to have the mindset. We have to have the prayer. We have to have the passion. We have to have the zeal to be people of outreach. People who, who influence the world around us who have it on our radar. A lot of times, uh, this comes by simply praying and asking Hashem to fill our hearts with a desire to reach other people. And that's what today's Aliyah really is all about. It shows Avraham's heart. Let's continue reading. It says here, um, incidentally, uh, it says that uh, Abraham came forward. So he says that he's going to go and see if, if destruction will come. Then the men turned, two of the men left, and one man stayed. One man stayed. That's Hashem. It says, they went down to Sodom while Abraham was still standing before Hashem. Who's he standing before? Hashem. Abraham came before him and said, will you also stamp out the righteous along with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in the midst of the city? Would you still stamp it out rather than spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? He's not talking about 50 people in Sodom. He's talking about 50 people um, uh, throughout the five cities. So what he's talking about here is 10 in each city. That there is there If there's a minion in each city, just a minion, would you stamp it out? And so um, it says here that uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein explained why Abraham pleaded so strenuously for people who were so notorious for their wickedness. He said, ordinary people preach kindness, but they become outraged and hate those who dispute their values. Abraham, on the other hand, cared only for the truth as defined by the Torah. He felt no animosity towards evildoers. He wanted only for them to change for the better. Therefore, he felt that if there were a nucleus of ten people in a city, there was hope that those ten people could influence others around them and teach and lead by their example. We have to guard our hearts, and this goes for all of us. We have to guard our hearts not to be angry at sinners, but to love sinners and hate the sin. And that is a not a very profound statement at all. It's not something unique and wonderful and brilliant. It's just something fundamental. It's something that we need to remind ourselves of. And it's a heart that Abraham had. He wasn't mad at the people of Sodom. He wasn't angry at them. He, he actually wanted them to do better. And so it continues on as we some of us are familiar with the story. He asked for 50 and God said, okay, for the sake of 50. Hashem said in verse 26, If I find in Sodom and 50 righteous people in the midst of the city, then I would spare the entire city on their account. And Abraham responded and said, Behold now, I desire to speak to my Lord, although I am but dust and ash. This is a great, there's comments about this that I don't have time to read this morning, but Abraham being such a great and wonderful person, he considered himself dust and ash. He was nothing. He had every right. He was wealthy. He had a direct connection with Hashem. I mean, for goodness sakes, he's standing right in front of Hashem, talking to him face to face, as it were. And uh, yet, he considers himself dust and ash. Uh, and that's exactly how we should consider ourselves. He says here, what if 50 righteous people should lack five? Would you destroy, uh, would you destroy the entire city because of five? In other words, what if there's only 45 people? 
And Hashem said, I would not destroy the people for five. Fifty righteous people, a total of five cities were condemned. All of them mentioned in verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse 2. Sodom and Gomorrah were the most prominent, it writes here. And the others were less significant. These people must display in the midst of the city. Abraham was suggesting these people must display their righteousness, not only privately, but also publicly in the midst of the city. In other words, they're righteous. In order to, to qualify, they have to be people who, who actually display their righteousness. They're not insular. They're not our, inside our own four walls. That's another great lesson for us. It talks about here that Abraham was saying, listen, if there's 50 people, if there's 45 people, and he said, no, I'm not talking about 45 people that stay to themselves and mind their own business. I'm talking about 45 people that when they go out, they're trying to influence the world. That's, that's the people I'm talking about. Why does he say 45? Because that would mean there was nine people in each city. And the commentary brings down that Abraham was saying, listen, God, if there's only nine people in each city, then wouldn't you your, yourself count as one, one more to make 10 in each city? This is the precise reason why if we happen to have a situation in which we only have nine men for a minion at the shul, if we have the Torah scroll, the sages write that the Torah scroll counts as a man. Selah. Selah indeed. So it says here in verse 30, God, where God acquiesces and says, I will not destroy it for 45. Verse 29, he further continued to speak to him and said, what if 40 would be there? And God says, I will not act on account. I will not act on account of the 40. And he said, let not me, my Lord be angered and I will speak. What if 30 would be found there? And he said, I will not act on 30. And so he said, behold, now I desire to speak to my Lord Adonai. What if 20 would be found there? And he said, I will not destroy it on account of 20. You see the passion of Abraham pleading, praying for the people around him. It says here in verse 20, uh, 32, So he said, Let not my Lord be angered, and I will speak but this once. What if ten, what if ten would be found there? And he said, I will not destroy it on account of ten. And Hashem departed, and he finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham gets down to ten. Taking five cities into consideration, that's two in each city. And I, I believe, my friends, there's an allusion to this concept where Messiah Yeshua says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. In the context of what Messiah was talking about, he was talking about halakhic decisions, where two or three are gathered to make a halakhic ruling, to decide on a religious matter. But then the sages also write that since the destruction of the temple... All that we have in terms, for, in, in terms of where the divine presence can reside is in the four corners, or the four, not the four corners, but the four um, uh, paces, if you will, of Halakha. So when Messiah Yeshua says, we're two or three are gathered in my name, and he's talking about making Halakhic rulings, making decisions, that's where the divine presence rests. If you have two righteous in each city, presumably they're getting together, they're studying Torah, and they're making divine halakhic rulings based on God's word. And, and Abraham says, if there's just two or three in the city, will you be in the midst of them? And God said, if there's just two in each city, I'll be in the midst of them. There might be just two people in the city in which we live that are righteous. There might be two city in the t people in the town in which you live that are righteous. There may be just two people in the city that you're in. There may be two people in the in the, the vicinity of the city in which you live. And for those two people, God wants to save the city. So let us be people who have a heart of compassion. 
who want to see our city and our town redeemed and just be people of outreach. Be people of generosity. We've, we've spoken a lot lately because it's been in the Ali and the Aliot. We've spoken a lot about generosity, about giving tithes, giving sadaka, and so on. Be somebody who's generous and be somebody who's just and be someone who's loving and be someone who cares about other people. That's what God is calling us to do. And if we do that, then we are truly our sons and daughters of Abraham. That's the end of our Aliyah today. I pray that you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. And with God's help, we will see everybody tomorrow morning. Shalom and Shavuotov.